This is Food First Michigan on News Talk 760 WJR. Sponsored by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Creating a food secure state. And by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome everyone and thanks for listening. I've been taught that people are an organization's greatest asset. To go a step further, I believe people aren't just an organization's greatest asset, but they are also an organization's most appreciable asset. It is a question of value. Do we truly value people in our organizations? And more generally, do we truly value people? I just got a new pair of glasses, and they are a bit retro in their look, but then so am I. When I wear my new glasses, my closest friends tell me I look semi-intelligent. Well, I probably need better friends. But what if I told you my new glasses were special and they allowed me to see through the prism of potential? With my new glasses, I can look at a person and my glasses show me what that person could be and what they would mean to society. How cool would that be? Those glasses would totally change how I viewed people. My perspective would change dramatically. And guess what, folks? You can have the lens of potential, and you don't need new glasses. All you need is one minor adjustment, and you'll be able to see with more clarity and less cloudiness whenever you look at people. The adjustment is simple, just two steps, but surprisingly difficult for some. So whenever you see a person in need, a person who is poor, a person who is using a bridge card, or sitting in a line at a food distribution, first... See yourself in that car or swiping that card and say, yet for the grace of God, there go I. And secondly, don't see a person in need. Anybody can see that. When you look, see someone worthy of investing in. Look longer and see past their immediate problems and see a bit of their potential. To see like this, don't change the prescription for your glasses Simply change your attitude. As the song says, you will see clearly, just as if the rain was gone. Today, Jerry and I welcome one of our organization's most appreciated and appreciable assets, Dr. Dawn Opal, Director of Research and Strategic Initiatives at the Food Bank Council of Michigan, and who is taking on a new role with us as well. We're back to talk research, strategy, and an exciting announcement when Dawn joins us in just a moment. Welcome, everyone. Jerry Brisson joins me. Jerry, great to see you on this edition of Food First Michigan. It's always a pleasure. I see you've got your flag flying in the background there, doctor. So, uh... You know, good for you. It's a good week to be patriotic, I'd say. I'd say we could use a little bit of that all around the state and the nation. So, uh, without further delay, as promised, Dr. Dawn Opal joins us back on Food First Michigan. We're not even going to count the times you've been on the show, Dawn, but welcome back. Well, thank you. I'm always, always honored and thrilled to be joining you. Well, it's, it's, uh, it's been almost a year since you've joined the Food Bank Council of Michigan as the Director for Research and Strategic Initiatives. 
But now, just recently, as promised in my monologue, there is a pretty special announcement about a different role that you're also going to assume and, um, and take on, as if you're not busy enough with research and strategic initiatives. Um, we thought we'd really make this challenging, and so why don't you tell us a little bit about what that role is going to be, and then we'll, we'll do a little bit of the background on that and what it really means to our network of food banks here in the state. Sure. Well, one of the things that I'm really pleased to be able to bring to the Food Bank Council and to our uh, regional food banks are, is the fact that I've worn a couple of different hats in my life. And before I was a research professor, I was a lawyer. And uh, when uh, Dr. Phil and I got together to start thinking about what kind of work I could do uh, with the Food Bank Council, I said, well, you know, it would be really fantastic if I could reactivate my bar license and also be able to serve as the Food Bank Council's general counsel. So, uh, so luckily, uh, I was able to take the Michigan State Bar and pass that bar this summer, which was, to anyone who was involved in that exam, uh, knows that that was a, a trying uh, time during COVID and an online bar exam. So I'm thrilled to announce that I passed the, the exam and will be uh, admitted to the Michigan State Bar in a couple of weeks. So, uh, so and we'll talk about the, the various and sundry things that that we can do together, uh, having a general counsel at the at the state association, which I'm just really thrilled. I think it'll really help add um, some services to the uh, sort of portfolio of services that we offer our food banks uh, to really be able to uh, to amplify and further their work. So um, so I can talk more specifically about that, and I'm really excited to do that. Yeah, I think, you know, my favorite part of this story is when you and Phil were, you know, uh, uh, talking about the future of the Food Bank Council and your potential role in it, and Phil kept saying to you, you know what I really need is a good lawyer. <laughs> you know, John, I, I know you're a researcher extraordinaire, and, the, you know, the food banks need that, but you know what I really need is a really, a really, really good, dedicated lawyer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is the chairman of my board speaking here. No, it is it is absolutely true. You know, we we as we grow, right? As we do more, as we get more partnerships, and those partnerships get more sophisticated, uh, particularly with healthcare, but not just with healthcare. Certainly, our partnerships with the state of Michigan are growing. Our our partnerships with uh, education are growing, and all of those have risk management that has to happen within those contracts and so you know having having the right eyes on that and making sure that everyone is is well positioned for the future is going to be a critical role and we're so proud of you for your passing the bar and uh, but also to to be able to not just from a legal perspective but from your understanding of the work be able to provide really valuable insight into how some of these more complex partnerships need to move forward I, I agree completely, and, and Phil and I have talked about that. You know, a lot of this work, particularly in healthcare and education, but not just those two domains. You, there's really several lenses you can look at the work, and one of them is a research lens. You know, what is what is the best outcome for our clients and the, those who we serve? You know, and, and that is one way to look at the work. The second way to look at the work is through a business lens. Is really thinking about what is the best uh, what is the best use of 
resources for each food bank? How are we going to further our mission uh, given the, um, the work that we choose to do in which areas and what is going to go the furthest um, to serve our clients? And then the last really is the, the legal component of, is this the, the, the most ethical and, um, and risk uh, uh, averse uh, sort of path or you know, how do we manage the risk that's involved in getting involved in these kinds of, of this kind of work? So I've noticed that as the work, as I've been involved with the Food Bank Council now for a year, all three of those come into play when we work uh, several of the projects that we've worked on during COVID-19, but also the healthcare projects kind of um, force me to start to balance those lenses to, to make sure that we're doing the right thing um, as food banks um, and that it's the right you know, place for us to be working, you know, that we're pitching it correctly for our business, for our clients, um, and, uh, and to ensure that, um, you know, that there is so much work that we can do as food banks. Um, I've now learned, I think, in COVID has taught us that there's an infinite amount of work to do, but we've got to make sure we're doing the right work and we're doing it in a smart way. And that's, um, you know, that's sort of now what I'm bringing to the amazing ideas that we come up with as researchers, you know, uh, really being able to balance that with what is the, um, the right business decision for the food bank so that we can be sustainable and, um, and continue into the future. So at the, when COVID first um, walked across the threshold of all of our lives and disrupted us completely, uh, we found that there wasn't a food shortage, but there was a, a processing issues at different levels of the food chain. And so we, our food banks were coming to the place where we were getting a little nervous about, are we gonna have enough food to continue to distribute at this level? And so um, there's a lot of, everybody's learning how to look at this through different lenses, right? And FEMA is no exception to that. Uh, when FEMA looked at the emergency of COVID-19, they didn't see any buildings fall down. They didn't see anything washed away like in a natural disaster, but yet there's a lot of damage. And so they had to look at it differently. And I think that when, when uh, you and myself and Kath Clark on our team really huddled together, got with our friends in Texas and in Florida, crafted, uh, you did an MOU that we sent to the state of Michigan that went through five different departments of state government in nine days to create a memorandum of understanding um, that you know everybody signed off on so that emergency food could continue to flow through our network is you know is just a place where i can hang my hat when someone says well phil why would you need a general counsel other than me personally but why would the <laughs> the organization need a uh, a general counsel you know so, uh, an attorney in-house and i point to that mou and and that work was it was hell week for us i know that but I look back at that week and think, wow, what a difference you made in the life of these food banks and the families we serve right then and there. Yeah, I, you know, I'll, I'll add a few things to that. Um, for, for those of us on the ground that are, that are collecting information from the people we serve. And of course, there's a lot of um, 
appropriate concern about privacy and about who can have what information about what and for what purpose and how that information can and should be shared. The goal of all of that is so that we can make sure that we're providing the right services to the right people at the right time in the right quantity, right? I mean, we, we want to make sure that, um, that we're doing a really good job, but because um, whenever you collect information about people and you're storing it somewhere, you have to manage the risk that that information would be um, disseminated in not an appropriate way. And so certainly those are conversations that are really important. Um, even, you know, even when we talk about we're in several relationships with the city of Detroit, they're very positive, they're moving forward. But one of the things we talk about is, are we going to share client information with each other and how much information are we going to share? That same conversation happens with healthcare. You know, are we going to share patient information? How much can we share? What are the risks of, of sharing that information? And how do we minimize the information we actually need to get the job done so we can minimize the potential that anything would be disseminated inappropriately? And so, you know, those are real things happening right now. And, and as we grow to meet more of the needs, and we know that food insecure patients are well served when they have nutritious food as part of their treatment plan, we have to, with that, manage the, all, of the, all of the legal environment and privacy environment that comes with those decisions. And so just some other you know, real concrete examples of why it's time to have somebody at the food bank council level that can help all of us food banks so we don't each of us have to get our own resources to manage these issues. That's absolutely right, Jerry. And just this week, one of the things that I'm looking at is that in other states that have advanced the work of food as medicine um, at the policy level uh, be to a statewide initiative, which is what obviously we would love to see happen in the next several years in Michigan, part of that strategy involves a fairly sophisticated data sharing platform that complies with HIPAA. Um, and as you know, without that right now, we're sort of piecemeal contract by contract going through this work of compliance, um, which is extremely time consuming and complicated for our food banks to do one by one. Um, and so, you know, so part of what I'm doing is reaching out to counterparts uh, in other states that were involved in the building of a, a HIPAA compliant data sharing platform and saying, how did you move from where we are to where you are? And who do we need to get involved in this to make this happen? And I think that 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 work is often um, invisible. You know, we think about the sort of the policy change and, you know, getting the buy-in from these different sectors and that that's really where the hard work is. And it is. And I think that we're spending a lot of time on that piece as well. But then once you decide, and this infrastructure piece is something that we spend a lot of time talking about right now, I think because of COVID and because um, there are more readily accessible federal funds to start to think about some of these things, but there's not infrastructure yet. So building it carefully and making sure that it is compliant with all of the rules and regulations that we'll need to follow is a huge part of that. So um, it's, a, it's another part of my work that is going to grow, I think, in the years to come. Only point I would argue with you about that, Dawn, is you said your counterparts in other states. See, I just don't think they exist. I don't think you have any counterparts. <laughs> that is true. I, you know, <laughs> I, I would say not in our sector. And it's something that, you know, if I really want to get passionate about community-based organizations and um, 
elevating their role and their seat at the table with some of these cross-sector initiatives, having a lawyer is a really good way to do that. And often the nonprofit sector gets the short end of the stick when, you know, the government and industry can really are the ones that have the templates for the contracts and they're the ones right. who, you know, sort of with all the power and authority and the, the CBOs or the community-based organizations are left to just sign on the dotted line. And so if you really want to get me riled up, I'll talk about why I think, you know, the, C the community-based organizations deserve um, a greater uh, amount of representation in those transactions. I love it. We're going to talk about it more on the other side of this break. That's Dawn Opal, Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. We're back in just a moment. Contact the Food Bank Council of Michigan at fbcmich.org. Now back to more Food First Michigan with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for being with us today. Dr. Dawn Opal, Jerry Brisson, me, Dr. Phil Knight. We're talking about uh, Dawn's role at the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Uh, she is serving as our general counsel as well as director of research and strategic initiatives. So that last segment was a little bit about... Um, uh, well, actually, it was a lot about the role of uh, general counsel and why you would even need one in this work. And, but it really segues very nicely into some of the strategic initiatives that, that you're leading at the Food Bank Council for our network, Dawn. So let's talk a little bit about that. And one of those I know is healthcare. That's right. So I really see, um, I really see strategic initiatives as any work that innovates the work of food banking. And that can look like a lot of different things, but what we have really seen it coalesce around is the work of social innovation or how to build new systems and partnerships across sectors uh, to, to further the mission um, and improve um, the health and well-being of Michiganders, really, is how I, t as how I talk about it. That, you know, how do we get there from here? And, um, and, and that involves working with other sectors including healthcare, and healthcare was really why I was brought on to the Food Bank Council, um, because we are increasingly working more closely with healthcare partners to learn more about the ways in which healthy food and nutrition impacts health outcomes in the clinical setting. So we know enough now, there's enough science to indicate that, you know, that with particularly with certain kinds of chronic conditions um, like diabetes, heart disease, obesity, um, healthy weight gain during pregnancy, other types of um, other types of health uh, matters. That healthy food really makes a difference, and so uh, so we're learning that a partnership in care can really improve um, health outcomes, which makes it attractive to healthcare organizations. So. Uh, so partnering with the healthcare organization to learn more about how the food um, impacts outcomes is a huge part of our work now. And so, and part of that, to get back to the last segment, the reason why HIPAA, which is a rule that is actually called the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, but what that means is we have to, in order to learn how the food makes people healthier, we have to learn about that patient. And so that means that their information travels often digitally across one, you know, from one server to another. And so there are, there are rules and laws in place to make sure that's done safely and ethically and legally. So 
that is a part of that work, but not all of it. I mean, it's really, it's really creating the the system, like if you think about like the highway system, we have to create a system for us to do work with healthcare. And so that is a big part of my job. Yeah, I, I think probably worth talking in, in really down to earth practical terms about some of what that work actually is. So there's, there's a type of clinic called a federally qualified health clinic, right? And those clinics are actually rewarded when they save money. They actually can then use the money that they've saved to provide other services for patients. And that's an area of particular interest to food banks because so many of the people we serve get served in healthcare through those types of clinics, right? That's where a lot of people that we serve go. One of the things we saw during COVID was how much more often people that we serve ended up getting COVID and getting significant significantly more impacted by COVID, either by longer hospital stays or even death, right? And so we know all these issues are connected. All these social issues are connected. Well, to have federally qualified health centers as hubs for this work is one of the innovative ideas, one of the social innovations we have to say, maybe this is a way we can reach food insecure patients. And I know that in order to do that, You've started a new project with our food bank in South Michigan that's specifically geared toward defining outcomes and defining the way the process needs to work and identifying patient populations that align with food security needs and all the pieces that it takes to do that. Now, from our perspective, the advantage to having you walking with the food bank of South Michigan is that when, it's, when that pilot is created and really well defined, we can all use the same basic steps to grow that work and to make it scalable. So, so we're going to know what works, we're going to know how it works, and then we're going to make it scalable. And that is a beautiful thing. And, and you need smart people that know what they're doing, that have good experience in both the healthcare sector and with the populations of people that we serve in order to develop and design those types of systems. So I know that's a real concrete, practical example, but though, you know, hopefully it illustrates, um, you know, the, the level of need that we have for both the research and the, the legal work. Yeah, that project um, is very close to my heart because that team, as we've progressed in the six months that since we've started, that team has grown um, so significantly. And we now have a weekly call where I work with a nurse, a nutritionist, uh, a, a resource provider. So the clinic is investing in someone who really can serve in a, a manner that can direct clients to the right services. So we know that we're not duplicating efforts. So if they need to get connected to federal or state food assistance, they can get that help with her. If the tailored uh, food box program, the healthy food box program that we're developing, this pilot that you just talked about, is the right uh, intervention for that patient, is the right 
place for them to work with us, then that's the place they're going to work with us. If it's going to the pantries in their county, then that's going to be the place that they work with us. Um, and then to work with food bankers all the way from the CEO of that food bank, Peter Vogel, who you've had on the show, to all of their operations people. They've hired a nutrition and community manager as a result of this project. You know, just seeing the ways that we're working in Battle Creek, Michigan, across all, you know, that this food bank healthcare partnership is now really growing to include the social services and community-based organizations in that community. And we're really trying to figure out what the sustainable funding mechanism is um, to be able to work across all of these places successfully. So, you know, so that's what's really exciting to me is that um, is that hopefully we can figure out where the best places are to be doing the right work at the right time with the right client. And that's just very exciting to me because I think we haven't really gotten to see that cross section. Um, it's a, you know, Battle Creek's not a large place. It is, it's a, it's a medium sized city, but we're really trying to figure out how to make that, how to make our resources there go the furthest. And I'm really excited to see how this can be replicated in other areas across Michigan when we're done. Well, it's exciting work. And, uh, you know, I, I think one of the most exciting things about it is the opportunity to scale this. Um, at different parts of the state with our other food banks across the state. Guys, I'm going to make us take a quick break here. We're going to come back with Dr. Dawn Opal, Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. We're back on Food First Michigan. You come back and be with us too. Food First Michigan. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry. Welcome back. Dr. Don Opal is our guest, the Director for Strategic Initiatives, Research, and now General Counsel for the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Jerry Brisson is here as co-host always, and Jerry serves as the Chair of the Board of Directors for the Food Bank Council of Michigan. And I have the privilege of working as the Executive Director there. And here we are, all three of us, we're talking about some of the strategic initiatives and I, I, I don't want to leave that too soon. We talked about health care, but Dawn, you're also out of COVID. We've learned a lot of things, right? Uh, and, and, and Jerry and, and the other food bankers have uh, had to kind of pivot on a dime and create new distribution methods. Um, and the folks, when you see those long lines of people waiting to come and, uh, and get emergency food, that's what food banks are doing all across this nation and certainly all across Michigan. And, but Dawn, you've, you've come up with a project that's, um, that you're piloting with four of our food banks uh, that actually um, it, it comes from some CARES Act money and the state of Michigan, particularly the Michigan Department of Education, ask us to try to figure this out and tell us a little bit about that. Sure. So one of the things that happened during COVID is necessarily in order to protect everyone's safety uh, when we were distributing food out in the community is that, um, you know, we, we used to uh, have as a requirement uh, under Blue Skies that, uh, that a client would fill out a form manually on paper and sign it uh, and to indicate their eligibility for a federal uh, food program. And under COVID, COVID, we decided, you know, we applied for a waiver to waive that requirement to keep everyone safe. 
And so MDE came to us and said, well, we know we need to collect this information and that, you know, that this isn't going to be, this waiver won't be in place forever. Um, so is there some kind of way that we can collect the information digitally on people's smartphones so that, you know, just like the way that you would show your grocery, you know, your M Perks card for Meyer, you know, um, and scan in that card. How do we do that for um, for food bank, uh, food pantry, and uh, mobile food distribution? So, um, so we're piloting a text-based platform that collects the uh, registration and check-in information for clients at mobile food distributions um, to see if this can be something that works both as a data collection uh, mechanism, uh, but does a lot of other things. Um, it does a lot of other things for the food banks, and and uh, like Jerry said earlier, helps us better understand the clients that we serve, so that we can do a better job of routing food to the right place at the right time. And so, this project it looks kind of simple at its um, base that we're just you know letting people check in on their phone, but it actually has far-reaching implications. I think for the future of food banking in terms of the ways that um, clients can manage their own um, information with us and allow us to do better reporting and analytics to drive more data-driven uh, food banking in the future. Yeah, I mean, just again, to, to put some, some meat on those bones, the, a person who needs help often goes to more than one place to get it. They, they, so if you're, if you're struggling to make ends meet, you might have to go to the health and human service offices and you might have to go to a pantry and you might have to go to an, another place or two in order to um, get everything you need, right? And each one of those places, you have to fill out a huge amount of paperwork, mm -hmm. right? And so part of this whole process of you know, alignment across sectors, right, and innovations to make things easier for clients is to develop ways that that's so much easier for the person involved so, so that they can give the information once and it can be used multiple times. But food banks have had no infrastructure to do that at all. And so to make the, the, the world better and more efficient and cheaper and more administratively capable, you have to create ways to, to collect and share information that are easy and effective and give everyone what they need. And so again, you know, that's for the person who's getting that service. If you're just sitting in your car waiting to get your food and you can just get that all done, boom. It's, it's a way to really use your time well. And how much more dignified and respectful is it to do it that way? Completely. I mean, that's. I think that's a really important point, Jerry. That um, that you know that to preserve dignity and and to really um, it, to really bring food banking, I think, up to speed with where other retail food is. Al you know, is already. So we come to expect a certain degree of um, you know sort of maintenance of our information, just basic information um, for loyalty programs, and it's no different. I mean. So, you know, the, the thought of a food bank employee having to manually enter into an Excel spreadsheet one by one each paper entry form, it just, in the digital age, it just hurts my heart a little to yeah. even think yeah. that someone's right. doing that. Right. <laughs> so, right. you know, so that's the, you know, that's the, the, 
definitely, you know, how do we use our labor the most efficiently? We're nonprofit organizations. We run lean. How do we, you know, maximize the efficiency of our workforce? And this is a huge part of that. Um, but it also, at the same time, allows clients to not be asked questions. You know, I, often coming to a distribution is a vulnerable time for people, and we want them to feel safe and secure and and to get what they need and not have to, you know, be asking, you know, be asked invasive questions, you know, to their, you know, to their face so that they can get back to living their life, you know, and I think right. that that's really important. So they can find their, their next success. Yep. Doing things more and doing things better. Taking things to scale isn't just doing what you've always done the same way. It's constantly improving processes so that as you go to scale, you're more efficient. But for people on the street who need help, what it means is it's easier for them and better for them and more dignified for them. And of course, that's the center of our work is the people we serve. Well, the part of the center of our work is our vision at the Food Bank Council of Michigan. And that says that Michigan will become a food secure state when each person has access to proper nutrition acquired by dignified means. And I don't, I don't think we can de-emphasize that. I don't know that we can emphasize it too much that it really is about dignified means and we want people who find themselves in need of emergency food to feel more when they come to us not less we want to give them a lift not a load and i think that's something that it permeates our entire network here in michigan but also across the feeding america network nationally guys we're going to take a quick break here we're going to come back for a short segment you guys come back and be with the three of us we're going to be right here welcome back everybody we're back for the last segment of today's show and jerry um you know you guys were kind of a uh, pioneer in this healthcare work, but also in the whole uh, research and data that goes along with that. And I think that that's another role that Dawn is filling for us. And, you know, I think we're going to have to eventually find her some help because, you know, I'm just not a very good, it, you know, I can't help much with that. <laughs> well, you know what, doctor? Surround yourself with people better than you, and that's a really good thing. You 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 found Don, you brought her to us. I think you're going to get some credit for that. But well, uh I just want to I'm just, you know, my my philosophy about that is just, you know, hire hire the best people you can and get the hell out of their way. So, <laughs> pretty much my philosophy. Uh, so, yeah, so let's talk a little bit in this last segment for a few minutes about the the aspect of research and how valuable that is to innovation and to how do we fulfill this mission of creating a food secure state. So, which one of the two of you want to jump in first? I'm happy to, uh, especially because I've had in the last few months a sort of aha moment about this that I want to share because I have realized in working with all seven of our food banks that all of them do program evaluation here and there, you know, as they have the the funds um, or they're on a grant funded project and evaluation is a component. And one of the things I've been able to do at the state level is start to bring into conversation evaluations that are occurring at different food banks. Because if we truly want to scale uh, what we're doing, we need to be able to show with data how similarly situated projects work in different kinds of areas. So in urban 
you know, intervention versus a rural intervention? Um, or how do we, you know, how do we evaluate our programs on a statewide level so that we can then contract for a statewide program? And that's really been something that very recently, particularly with our work with education, um, has been something that we've really started thinking about because during COVID, we've been partnering with education in different kinds of ways. And we want to make sure that we can continue to, to do that and do it in more places across the state of Michigan, offer that service and that partnership um, at a greater level. So that's really what I've been spending some time looking at is how to bring these, uh, these program evaluations or that's where we get the data, get the research from how did this program go. And we hire researchers from either universities or from private firms to, to look at the success of those programs and to give us some data. And so, um, so I'm now working to really triangulate a lot of those across our network um, for, the, for policy and for sustainability. Cool. Yeah, I, I see it in this simple sentence. You can't just say it works, you have to know it works. Right? And the only way to know it works is to do the research. And the bottom line is, those of us in social services have been telling good stories for a long time, and we got to turn those stories into facts. Otherwise, we'll never get this stuff to scale. That's great. Well, Dawn, thanks for being with us on the show today. Jerry, always great to see you, and it's time for a little food for thought. It was Albert Einstein who said, try not to become a person of success, but rather become a person of value. I am a member of a CEO group that has some really great leaders in it, and when I was invited to join, I wondered if I'd fit in or not. Our group leader said, the one requirement we have to be a member of this group is, you must give value to the group, and you must receive value from the group. Well, I hope I've added value to these amazing individuals. I know I've received it. And if you want to add value, then you must intentionally invest your one handful of life in things that are bigger than you are and will last longer than you do. That's what Jerry has done for more than 30 years of his life. It is what Dawn is doing by coming to work to lead meaningful projects at the Food Bank Council of Michigan when she could be a professor or an attorney someplace else. It is what every one of the CEOs and their teams of all of our seven food banks are doing. They all understand what Albert Einstein meant. Brilliant words to help us understand our place, perspective, and position as we strive to keep food first, folks. Food first. Food First Michigan, presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.